Hello, beautiful. You are listening to episode 85 of the Africana Woman podcast. Chilu is my name. I'm a writer, self-branding coach, entrepreneur, and mentor. This show is the home of African women's stories. We share ideas, triumphs, challenges, and lessons from our perspective as women. Our library is a step to cementing our place in history. Her story, your story, is powerful. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to all the new listeners and welcome back, family. I love you guys so, so much. Please click the subscribe button and I hope to see you here so, so many more times after this. We are 14 conversations away from the 100th episode. If you're here often, you know that we will have a live podcast recording with a live audience right here at Komushi Garden in Kabwe on September 24th. You should definitely come. So make sure that you sign up by clicking the link in the show notes. If you're not in Zambia, you can still participate. Sona, I see you. I'm so excited that you signed up. Sona is in Kenya and she signed up. I am just so excited. We're going to have so much fun. Again, go check out the link in the show notes. Now, Our first destination retreat is also coming up on 29 to 31 July. We still have a few slots open. I think this experience is for you if you feel like like you've been running in the same spot for a very long time. You're not going forwards no matter how much energy you put into it, you know? Now, the first thing that you have to do is press pause on your life because in the stillness comes clarity. You may be chasing someone else's dream and that's why whatever it is that you're going after is not working out or your core beliefs are working against you on a subconscious level. Whatever it is, whatever clarity you are looking for, this retreat will help you be still, gain perspective, and then make a strategy on your next best step. Investing in yourself is such a beautiful act of self-love, and I hope you will take up this invitation. Find out more details about the retreat in the show notes or visit africanawoman.com. All the conversations that are leading up to the 100th episode are gold dripping in diamonds. Ah, My beautiful sister from South Africa poured out her heart in this one. Please enjoy the conversation. Lelo Mashatile is a mother of an amazing seven-year-old boy, a professional in the financial services industry, a podcaster, and the founder of the Young Mama brand. She is passionate about helping young moms to more than survive, but to thrive. This reminds them their dreams are still on. Ah, guys! Okay, first of all, I need to explain to you people how I met Lelo. (laughs) So, 
um, you've heard her on the podcast before. Fatima, my P2P sister, is like, there's this amazing woman I want you to meet. Like, you guys, you need to meet, you need to meet. I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'm not all about meeting people. So then she introduced us and then we jumped on a call. I, I don't know, Lelo, how long were we on this call? Like an hour, <laughs> two hours maybe? <laughs> we were just talking. We just like clicked straight away. I love her energy. She is so amazing. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. Guys, please help me welcome Lelo to the Africana Woman Mic. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Chulu. Chulu the plug um, is what I call you now um, because you, you're you just a plug to all things good. I just love <laughs> that about you. Thanks for having me. Oh, cool. Okay, so my first question always, I love it, is what is your favorite childhood memory? Oh, man. You know, my favorite childhood memory... <laughs> so I used to live with my granny <laughs> when I was growing up, like like young, like three, four, five. And so often I remember like, you know how when you're growing up, parents are like, don't listen to what the elders are saying. This is a bit naughty. Like, I don't know if this is the perfect thing to tell on a podcast, but hey, I'm out here now. I'm not going back. Right. And like, you know, like all the people would always be like, don't listen to people's business when they're speaking. Don't eavesdrop. Don't child i was an eavesdropper hey like i was an eavesdropper like i was that child like oh you did not just say that in front of me because when that person gets here i'm gonna tell them what you said and so one day i was you know a bit irritated with my granny because i really wanted to see my mom and she was like no we can't go this weekend (laughs) and she was talking to this friend about somebody who happened to have the same name as me Now, remember, I'm upset because I want to go see my mom and this granny is saying, no, not today. And then later, I think she was trying to say something to me. And I said to her, oh, by the way, why were you gossiping about me with your friend? (laughs) Did she not beat me? (laughs) She beat me. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I will never, ever assume that when people are speaking about somebody whose name is like mine, they mean me, you know? So yeah, that that was yeah. Those are some of the stuff that I laugh at when I when I'm sitting by myself to be like, "Girl, were you crazy though? Like, why did you do that?" Yeah, but you see, I think there's one thing in eavesdropping, but then the problem is, it's like okay if you're eavesdropping, but the problem is when you go and tell, you know, because <laughs> my sister, she was like you. Like, we literally started calling her BBC, CNN, because it's just like a tape recorder. She's just getting everything. Kitchy, 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 kitchy. Come the time. Oh, there's this one story, and she'll kill me for telling the story. But anyway, so <laughs> my grandmother, and I don't know who else was involved, was busy talking about one of my grandparents. And this is like one of her favorite grandparents. And they'll say, like, oh, you know, I did this, shan, shan. Then... This uh, grandparent, with the day he called, and she's like, oh, I want to talk to him. Hmm. Gets on the phone. Did you? Is it true? <laughs> oh, my word. A legend. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, I just was that child. I don't know why, though. Like, I'm like, going back, I'm like, Shh, girl, you should have just never done those things. <laughs> 
So are you an only child? No, actually. So I'm the first of three children. My mother, I'm the only daughter. Mm-hmm. I've got two younger brothers that have come after me. So the yeah. oldest. Interesting. Yeah. And where, like, you're from South Africa, but like, which part of South Africa did you grow up in? I grew up in Johannesburg, specifically in Alexandra. And then, yeah, we've moved around as a family, um, but I'm still based in Johannesburg right now. Ah, nice, nice, nice. So what was the dream? Tell us, like, you know, when you were growing up, like you're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to become when I grow up. Because, you know, we're always told to have those dreams. What was your dream? You know, I always laugh about this, right? Because I feel like there's things that we say when we're children that we sometimes forget as we're growing up or, you know, sometimes they just get lost in translation and we develop new interests. And then later on in life, you're kind of like, Oh, that's, that's actually who I said I wanted to be looking back. And I look at myself now. So growing up as a child, I always wanted to be a speaker. Like I used to say to people, I'm going to get paid for speaking. Like I love to speak like, and true, (laughs) true to my form. That's, that's exactly what I still dream of doing. So You know, it's not to say I've arrived completely, but I'm definitely moving closer. But I think as I grew older, you know, things sort of got, you know, you know, twingled into other things. You know, I went into finance. I did all sorts of stuff. But my love for speaking and, and, you know, contributing to people through the use of words has always been my dream. That's something I've always known I wanted to do. I didn't know it's either I was going to be a pastor or I was going to be, it's something, but whatever it is, had to deal with me speaking. Ah, oh, that's so yeah. interesting. A pastor. Tell me more about that. I've always enjoyed the word of God. Like I, I, I thoroughly enjoy sharing the word of God and teaching others the word of God. Um, you know, I think I've got a unique appetite for learning as well. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm typically the kind of person that learns stuff, that picks up stuff in books. And then I, I translate what I've learned for other people to understand as well. So I've seen that operate, whether I'm tutoring or teaching, whatever I'm teaching. But specifically when I, when I teach the Bible, I think for me, I think, I think my whole face lights up <laughs> when, I, when I want to speak about the word of God. It's like, oh my goodness, I need to tell you what I saw in the word of God today. And so I always thought that, well, maybe that's the, that's the direction for my life. I don't know. But yeah, I've always really thoroughly enjoyed sharing God's word. Lovely. Now, your son is seven years old, and I just saw you celebrated his birthday, which looked like so much fun. But I want to know, when you were having your son, do you think that you were prepared? No, I wasn't. I was far from prepared. But that's the funniest thing about preparation, right? Is that we never feel prepared according to our own standards and according to our own measures. But somehow I think I had it in me. I just didn't know, you know, and I think I I still was going to meet those levels in me that were going to learn how to be a great mom. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think I was prepared, but I think I was, if, if you know what I mean. Like, it's, it's like, yeah, according to my own standards, I wasn't. There's so many things that I probably would have loved to have in place before then. But I think God knew. And, and so I think from, from that perspective, I was prepared. Mm. Well, take us back to the, the time around when you were, you know, you found out that you were pregnant. Like, what was going on? You're in university or you're not? Like, you know. 
I was in my final year of university, so I was doing my honors. I think it was just around September. Yeah, it was just around September or like October or so. I can't remember the exact time. And I just, I just remember just feeling really ill, you know, feeling unusually tired. And at the time I couldn't just make out what was going on until I took the test. And then I was like, oh, actually I'm, I, I'm pregnant. Yeah. One of the first people I told was my, my best friend, you know, besides my, my son's dad, but you know, I, I, I told my best friend about it and, you know, I think we kept it hush hush for like a month or so. And then I told my mom and I think my mom was probably the best to tell because she wasn't, she wasn't surprised. She wasn't disappointed in that way she was just like listen you're not a child like you're not you're not you're not a small baby you're not 12 okay so I'm I'm happy like she she was more excited I was like and I think that for me just gave me the relief because obviously I think I had other expectations for me and sometimes we believe that other people expect certain things of us as well so we naturally feel disappointed on their behalf even before they express any disappointment and when they don't express the levels of disappointment that we expected, we sort of are like surprised. So yeah, that, that, that's where I was. I was just finishing my honors. Yeah. I think I just submitted my, my dissertation actually. Yeah. That's, that's where I was. Two things I want to touch on there. You said that you, you know, you told your best friend and then you kept it hush hush for a month in that moment. What were you thinking around okay why am I keeping it why am I going to keep it quiet for you know whether it's a month or however long it's going to be yeah because I think it was unexpected um and and I knew that it was a bit complicated because I had so many plans right like I've got offers to study my master's I've got job offers and it's like you know, I'm on a scholarship. What does this mean? So for me, that month was a mo- like was a moment to process, to just be like, what does this mean for my life? What does this mean for my future? Like, what's really going on here? You know, what's about to transpire right now? And so I think from an emotional perspective, it was a bit frightening, you know, because I was kind of like, I, I honestly don't know what this means. And it felt a bit lonely, you know, because now you're keeping the secret from everybody. And, you know, when you're keeping a secret, you feel like everybody can see right through you, <laughs> you know. But I think it was just a matter of just processing where I was and what that meant for my future. You know, I had a full offer to study my master's with this consultancy. And and those things at the time felt like, oh, but this is what I've really wanted to do. Am I now going to be able to go back and do these things now that... I'm expecting, you know, how's my family going to take it? You know, and, and you know how it is as well. You know, when, when you've just or are about to finish university, there's always this expectation that, oh, you're going to get a great job. You're going to start your life. You're going to build. And so seeing that that journey was not going to be the way that sometimes we anticipate it to be was a bit jarring. It was a bit scary. I felt a bit insecure. I, I just didn't know. And, and I think, to add to that complexity as well as that I'm a Christian, right? So now it's like, okay, so now what does that mean for me in church? How do I show up now in the ministry? You know, like, you know, so I think I was just wrestling a lot of emotions. Um, but I'm, I'm just grateful for the people I did have and the people I could tell and be honest with in terms of where my headspace was at the, at the time. Yeah. So 
what was your relationship like with your son's father at that time? Were you still together? Was it, you know, very serious? Or, you know, because again, I know like there's sort of this like, I don't know if it's finished or stopped anymore. I don't know. But when we were like, when I was like really young, there was sort of like, oh, this person, you know, got pregnant. Oh, no, they have to marry. And it's like, really? Mm. <laughs> I hear you though. I hear you. And I think that's valid, right? So I think we had a good relationship, Um, you know, He's, 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 he's quite a nice person. I'd, I'd be lying if I said anything else. Um, you know, quite a nice person, very reliable, very helpful. Um, and, and I think, you know, at the time our relationship was good. It was like, okay, cool. We're going to do this, you know, where we're going to keep the baby. We're going to, you know, we're going to handle this, you know, and we're going to build. And I think initially our relationship was very serious. So I think at the time it was like, um, what's the plan? Do we want to get married? And, you know, that, 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 that's, those are conversations that we had. And I think at the time, you know, we agreed that, okay, yeah, actually we are going to get married. You know, I remember telling my parents as well to be like, okay, well, no, we are actually planning to get married and things of that particular nature. But yeah, obviously how things transpired after that, I think, I think sometimes, you know, even the conversations we had, and I'll speak for myself, is that there's a certain expectation that I placed on myself, you know, to now, you know, when I started defining to myself what a great mom would be or a great family structure would be where I assumed that, okay, cool, I need to be married. And that's not, and, and, and that's not to say that, you know, a child growing up in a, in a place with two parents and parents being married is a bad thing. Not, not, not at all. I think it's a great thing, but it can't be something that is artificial. It can't be something that is constructed just to, just to make things look good. It's not for optics. You know, this is a serious thing. It's a covenant. It's, it's my life that I'm committing with. So I think going back, I had to step back and say to myself, but is this really what I want? You know, because there were so many parts of me that I still needed to discover that I felt like if I got into that covenant of marriage at that time, you know, it would, it would have been for my son, but I would have lost myself there. You know, I would have, I, I just, I just would not have been able to be the best version of myself. If I'm honest, I'm grateful that I didn't. I'm, I'm grateful that I, I, I opted not to marry. I, I opted to end the relationship at the time. And, you know, we both agreed, but still raising the child together. But, you know, I, I, I just felt like, you know, also when you, when you have a baby and you're young and, you know, there's, there's just so much more that you still need to discover you know, when you can imagine you're carrying a child, but there's still parts of you that are also still childlike. There's still parts of you that still need to grow up. And I just couldn't imagine, you know, being committed to marriage because years down the line, I probably would have gotten divorced, which would have torn me up a lot more than ending the relationship when I did, you know, or when we did. Walk us through the struggle with your faith and being finding yourself in this situation Mm, that's a very good question hey because i think i think that's a part that people don't speak about it's like these unsaid things you know i I think it was awkward you know you know maybe when i go back to your one of the first questions that you asked me to say you know what was going on where was i i confided more in the lord than anyone in that time I felt more comforted in God's presence than I did amongst human beings, you know? And so I, I, I had the unction and I had the knowing that he was with me, 
you know, by, by virtue of the way that he was comforting me, by virtue of the word that I was getting at the time and the relationship that I had with the Lord. So in terms of my personal relationship with God, I felt like I was closer to him than I'd ever been. Um, and the complexity came in um, when I had to be around Christians, right? And I love Christians and I love the church, but it was so tough because I think I even say this on one of my first episodes to say the problem about fornication as a sin is that the results of it can be physical, right? So people can lie, people can steal, people can murder, people can do all sorts of sins, right? And they wouldn't be proof or, you know, people can do a good job at hiding the proof of their sin. But when you fall pregnant and you fall pregnant out of wedlock, it becomes a public thing. It becomes something visible for everybody to see. Everybody knows what you did. I felt out of place. You know, I felt, I felt ashamed. I felt a bit guilty. And, and especially when people don't come to you straight, you know, especially when people are very silent about it. And it, it almost feels a bit like, why are they not saying the things that sometimes I think that they're thinking you know, and, and I felt, you know, I think a particularly hard day that I can remember was Mother's Day. I think my very first Mother's Day was very tough for me. You know, being at church, you know, mothers being given flowers and all sorts of things for Mother's Day. I wasn't sure if I, I should stand up as well or I should sit down. Do I qualify now as a mom or, you know, I, I couldn't quite figure out this thing. And because I was, it was, it just felt so difficult because for them, it was like, oh, who's this young girl? Like, why, when we're saying mothers must stand up, why is she standing? You know, it, it, it was very, very tricky for me, you know, and, and I felt, if I'm honest, I think I felt more comforted by, by people that weren't Christians than people that were, you know, and, and I think sometimes they were just unsaid things, you know, you could see it on people's faces or on people's looks or people's reactions to you to say, oh, but you're a Christian, why are you pregnant? Like, did you fornicate, <laughs> you know, kind of vibe. And, you know, so I really felt awkward. I felt a lot of shame and, and just felt like, you know, I, I sort of didn't quite belong anymore in, in terms of the Christian circle. But I must say, I felt more comforted in God's presence than I did anywhere else. But navigating the Christian space was really tough. There was nobody in the church or anything that, you know, spoke to you or you know I don't know what it could be like counseling I don't know <laughs> do you know what I mean like just it, they no. just pretended like it just didn't happen. like it wasn't it just wasn't a thing yeah it's like people can't see you've got a belly right it's it's like people look over your head it's like people are just looking at your face and they act like they can't see it, your stomach kind of vibe <laughs> right but I, I'll never forget one day when we were coming from church and I was with, you know, my son's dad and we got mugged. And I remember these guys like taking out weapons and like wanted money and all of these things. And we just, you know, got in there and we're like, oh, let's take a walk to the garage. Just going to get some snacks or whatever. And we got mugged on the way. And I remember being so scared and so traumatized, right? That, you know, there's these people with guns and they're around me and I'm pregnant. And, you know, I was just in so much shock. I remember going to counseling at church, and this guy that was counseling me, instead of counseling me about the topic that I had come for, he started speaking about repentance, right? Like, I was like, that's not why I'm here. Like, he was like, oh, have you repented kind of vibe. Like, I think two people asked me, oh, but have you repented? You know, 
and and I was like, okay, but I'm here. I've just been mugged. I've been robbed. It's like they're saying that you are robbed because you haven't repented. It's sort of like, that's know. where the equation. That's how the equation is. It was weird. Like it was like, okay, that's not why I'm here, though. Do you know what I mean? That's not why I'm here. Let's talk about the fact that I've just been mugged. I'm pregnant. They've just taken my phone. They've taken my stuff. Like, counsel me. I'm I'm feeling really out of it right now. And I remember the guy just looking at me really funny and being like, oh, have you repented? Kind of vibe. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> cool. But yeah, I think, I think that's not to say that's, that that was the experience with all Christians. I think after that, I got into a much tighter church of which I felt a more part of a family where people just were so loving um, and so loving towards my son as well. I think it's just people are different, you know, to say Christians as a banner would be incorrect. But I know that sometimes that's an experience we can't avoid. It can be a, a bit weird to be to find yourself pregnant and out of wedlock in a, in a Christian setting. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So what was the plan? Basically, you know, when baby arrives, what's going to be the plan? Did you break up before he was born or was that afterwards? Well, the plan initially was still to be together. Right. And, and I think that when, when two people are like, okay, cool, we're going to raise this baby. Nobody actually knows what the other is going to be. Like nobody actually knows what the kind of parent the other is going to be. Right. And so I lived at my parents' house. The plan was, okay, cool. I'm going to give birth and I'm going to stay with him for like a year or so. And then I'll, I'll go out and be on the job market. That was honestly the plan. And, you know, dad was going to do, you know, most of the supporting and, and, you know, being available financially and doing all that stuff. You know, he was, he was available for that, but I, I just got to a place where I felt not taken care of. You know, I felt like, okay, I thought this was just going to be about sitting here and taking care of the baby. But actually I realized that I need to be taken care of myself and I'm, I'm, I'm a grown woman. No one's going to do that for me. So I'm going to have to go out and be on the job market myself and then take care of myself. And so I literally got a job about three months after he was born and then I, I started working from then. I got into financial services. You know, he would support the child and I would support the child as well. And we would just do things together. So we didn't break up immediately. I think the breakup happened like a, probably like a year and a half afterwards. Yeah. And it's primarily due to how we parent as people, you know, and I think the expectation shifts when you guys become parents. It stops being about, oh, you know, we're dating or we're together and it's just us. It's also about how do we show up for this person? Um, that is now a part of our lives. So, yeah. So, yeah. Walk us through your support system, because when you say that, you know, you're able to go and work three months after he was born, that means that somebody is physically, you know, looking after your child somewhere. So what was your support system? My granny, actually. So my gran always lived with us. And man, I was so blessed to have that because, you know, my granny's taken care of every single one of us. Like at some point we all stayed with my granny. Well, probably I think I was, she, she was part of the working group when I was very young. So she, but she at least should take me to crash, but she's taking care of my brothers and all of that. And so <clears throat> when I got the job, she was more than happy to say, listen, I want you to go get your dreams. You know, I think one of the people that felt a bit disappointed when I was pregnant was her because she was like, what's going to happen to your dreams? What's going to happen to, 
you. And so she was more than willing to, to take care of him for those first few months while I settled in into work. And, and she actually took care of him until he was almost two. And then I took him to like a preschool just before he turned two. Yeah, it was, it was primarily my granny if I'm at work. But my mother was also there, very helpful, you know, so I never quite felt alone. But my mother and my granny were like my biggest two helpers through and through. I remember giving birth and being too afraid to bath him. And my mother bathed him straight, <laughs> like for probably for like a month or so. I was like, I'm too scared. I'm going to drop him. I don't want to drop him. And my mother would just like bath him for me and, and just make sure that everything is fine. And so I think, yeah, my mother and my granny, those matriarchs have been the greatest help. So what does co-parenting look like for you right now? Geez, that's a difficult question, eh? (laughs) You know, because I think sometimes when you're the mom um, and, and then, you know, yeah, this is Africana woman, so it's all right. I can say this, (laughs) you know, sometimes as the mom, you do most of the caring responsibilities you know, currently I lived, it's just me and my son together. We live in an apartment together. And so most of the stuff is done by me, you know, and, and so co-parenting really on the dad's side is, is as a financial perspective, but also a bit of, you know, visiting and I'll see you and, you know, that kind of thing. But in terms of a responsibility perspective on the day to day, it's, it's mom's side. And until today, I think I still rely on my granny and my mom. Now that we're back to a hybrid working model, you know, days when I'm in the office, you know, he'll, he'll be dropped off at my mom's house or my granny. And I know that he's taken care of. So I still rely heavily on that, on, on, on my family to help me there. But yeah, co-parenting, a lot of it is still on, on the mom's side because, you know, I'm, I'm like the primary caregiver. And then dad, you know, fills in the gaps where possible, especially. And I think, and I think it's particularly difficult, especially if you've broken up as parents, because, you know, yes, we've got a respectful relationship. We still need to talk. We still need to treat each other with so much care, but we're just not together, you know? So there's certain boundaries and lines that we can't cross, which just complicates the whole thing about co-parenting. But I think, yeah, I think, I think each one does their role to make sure that we're doing the best we can to give them the best at all times of everything that we have. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to a friend who lives in Australia and she lives with her husband and, you know, we're talking about parenting and then, you know, she was giving a comparison because she used to live in Zambia and then she migrated to Australia with her husband. What she was saying is, you know, when you're back home and you have so much support around you, you know, you've got your mothers, you've got um, your sisters, aunties, all of those, you know, there's so much support in terms and even, um, you know, if you hire a helper or whatever it is, there's so much support in in raising the child. But then in that space where she is in Australia, you know, it's not it's not uh, affordable to hire that helper. They don't have their relatives around. So they have to both put in the work to support the children in all facets of their lives, you know? So she was just saying that, you know, one of the things that she's really grateful for that, even though she doesn't have that helper, she's grateful that, that her husband has the opportunity to be more of a caregiver to her children, you know? Yeah. So then for me, then I just think, okay, is this just like a, a cultural expectation? Because there's nothing that's stopping, you know, men in general 
from being more caregiver type yep. figures in their children's lives as opposed yep. to just being financial. And, you know, especially when you're cordial, you, you know, you've got a great mm-hmm. relationship because there are plenty of people yeah. who, you know, they don't have that great relationship with their ex or whatever. But I feel like there's this disconnect with the expectations we have for men, you know, and even themselves or the way that they define what a father is, you know, yeah. what does it mean to be a father to a child? So, yeah, yeah I just thought that yeah. was no, I agree. I agree. And I think that, I think multiple things contribute to that. I think some things are worth having conversations about, but I also think it also depends on the dynamic of the parents, right? The relationship dynamic. And I think it's easier when two parents are in the same place and they agree about that. It becomes a lot difficult if the child has also got preferences about the parents, you know, and, and how close they are, you know, and, and, and I think, some things we don't want to do is to push the child into a place of discomfort. So, but, but I, but I do think that's a valid point, you know, to say that it's, it's both parties responsibilities. Like it's, it's, it doesn't even have to be financial because look, I show up financially too. <laughs> so I'm not getting a discount on that side. So nobody should be getting a discount anyway, actually, you know, everybody needs to all hands on deck. You know, so I definitely think it's a cultural thing. Um, and I think the more people socialize themselves with the idea of co-parenting in a manner that doesn't discriminate between who's the female and who's the man and who does what and who does what, the better, the better. You know, over the years, uh, you know, many things come up, right? And kids are kids. They're inquisitive. They have questions. What was the hardest question that your son asked you? And, you know, how do you handle those hard questions? And as a single mom, I'm sure you <laughs> you can elaborate on such. Yeah, that's a hard one because I think I get them from time to time, right? I think one of the ones that that came up was around marriage, right? To say, are you and my dad not married? You know, like, why? Like, you know, like that kind of thing where you're kind of like, how do I navigate that? And I think for me, that was difficult because, you know, children talk and they talk at school, especially. So when, 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 when a child comes back from school and they say to you, you know, so-and-so said, I don't have a dad or so-and-so said this. And I was drawing a father's day card and I, and I opted to draw it for you instead of him, you know, and then somebody made a comment in the class, you know, so that kind of stuff comes up. And in terms of how I managed it, I just was, I would be authentic, but not divulge all details. You know, I think I'm very careful not to, give him my point of view all the time. You know, I want him to experience both parents for himself, you know, to, 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 to remain respectful and loving and open-minded and, and not being like, Oh, you did this to my mom. That's why, that's why, that's why, yeah, that's exactly why they ditched you. Or, you know, like that vibe where I, I don't want to pollute him. So for me, the question to that was just like, look, I think sometimes parents that happens, you know, and I think that's part of life. I think it's going to happen with your friendships. It's going to happen anywhere in life. 
some relationships don't last forever. It doesn't mean that people hate each other. It doesn't mean people don't respect each other. It just means that the relationship has ended and yeah, people still respect each other and they care about each other, even though they're not close anymore, you know? So that's, that's, that's how I've handled it in the past, but you know, I always anticipate that harder questions are always going to come, you know, like, especially because children talk and the older they get, and I know with myself, you begin to analyze situations, you analyze your parents. You're like, Oh, this is what happened actually. <laughs> like, Oh, okay. That's what happened over there. I didn't come from an airplane, it, you know? So, so, so for me, it's always to answer them with authenticity, but just being careful not to pollute, you know, if, if the question comes up about the other parent, you know, just to, to maintain that line of just saying, listen, this person actually really cares about you and they love you. And you know, to be honest and, and not to bad mouth <laughs> because it'll backfire. You know, I, you know, sometimes I think children grow up hating their parents for things they heard them say about other parents, because for them, they're like, Oh, but you told me this person was a bad person. It's like, no, but maybe that was my experience. That doesn't have to be your experience. Right. Because that person's not my dad. So he's not obviously going to treat me how he's going to treat you. So you have this beautiful brand, which is called Young Mama. And I wanted to just hear from you. What was your inspiration for coming up with the brand? What are your goals with it? Yeah. Yeah. Young Mama actually was such a COVID baby. <laughs> I'd call it that. It was, you know, in the height of COVID. And, and I just really felt that I wanted to, to give other people something I never had as a young mom, you know? Um, and when I say young mom, I know, you know, it's, it's roughly very open-ended. I, I just felt that there was a place in society that didn't speak to young moms, you know, where people felt a bit out of place where people didn't quite fit into the church, didn't quite fit into the youth because now they're parents. And I just felt that I needed to create a space where young mothers could, could still be themselves. You know, I think my biggest motivation was that there's this, inten- this, there's this tendency that once somebody has become a mom and they're young, that now their dreams must take a back seat or that their lives are destroyed. You often hear people, I've heard stories of people that had their children very young. And when they grow, when the children grow up, they resent their children. Like I've heard stories of parents being like, you ruined my life. You know, look at me now. I could have been this. I could have been that, but you came, you know, and they say all sorts of things like that, where for me, I was like, what would happen if I got out into the market and actually started supporting mothers? Right. There's programs for children. There's programs for all sorts of people. But I wanted to support the mom, you know, especially a young mom, because there's so many deficits that sometimes they face. Right. So the the support structure may be very thin. Not everybody has the benefit of having a mom and a grand like me who would help me carry my child. Some people don't have parents, you know, but, but some people also have parents that might be on the Christian spectrum who are like, ah, uh-uh, sorry, ah, uh-uh, ah, uh-uh. ah. You fell pregnant out of wedlock. I can't assist. I can't be afford to. I can't afford to be associated with this. Or sometimes just they just don't have caring people, you know. And and I just wanted that to be a brand where people could see themselves as 
people that still had a chance to, to do great things, you know, to say to them, your child is not an excuse to give up on your dreams. Matter of fact, it's a whole reason to go for your dreams. I don't think there's anything in my life that has made me more ambitious and wanting to pursue my dreams a whole lot more than being a mom. Because now there's somebody who's counting on you to do this, right? There's somebody who's like, you have to make this work. You have to win because you want them to win as well. You want them to have a great life. And so that for me was the benefit, you know, just to say, I wanted to create a brand and I started with a podcast as a starting point to just say, there are other, there are other people that are out there that have made it out of this. You know, they have succeeded as young mothers. They've gone to start businesses. They've taken their children to the best schools and today they're standing and they're great moms. You know what I mean? Like your life is not over. This is not a death sentence. Um, you know, and, and I feel like people are very forgiving towards parents from joint households because most young moms are single moms as well. Right. So if, if you give birth and you're a bit older, sometimes, you know, you're married, you've got a better support structure, you know, you've got more finances available to you. So if you're a young mom, you might just be a single mom you might have not finished school yet. There's just so many things that you're still to do that if you don't have a support structure, it's so easy to give up. And so I started that brand really to aid young mothers to see themselves that way, but to also be a support structure, right? Myself, you know, so to provide the financial education, to provide the personal development expertise, to provide bursaries and skills funding for people to be able to to grow their skill sets to get into the job market to start those businesses so that they feel empowered themselves to make a difference one of the things that i'm passionate about is that their programs for children like i've already said you know where take a girl child to work do all sorts of things to empower children from disadvantaged disadvantaged environments right but Nobody will, nobody will affect a child's life more than their parents. And in my case, and in case of being a young mom, probably nobody will affect your child's life more than you. And I feel like the more mothers are being empowered, the better they'll become at influencing their own children. Um, and, so, and, and, and so for me, the plan really is really around creating a space where I'll provide mentorship to create a community of young moms that are flourishing really, you know, that are flourishing emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, and people that are really pursuing their dreams and people that are given the skills to pursue those dreams. And so for me, that's my plan for young mom. It's, it's for, for young mama. It's just to create a whole big brand that is going to support young moms in whatever way they need to be supported. So, you know, in your story, I feel like, I feel like you have a strong mindset around not having to give up, not, you know, keeping the dream and not just letting it, you know, wash to the side or whatever it is. And I think a lot of times when you have young mothers, the war is in the mind. Even when you were explaining, you're like, you're already predicting what someone is going to think of you. You're guessing of how, you know, whoever you need to tell is going to react. You know, when you're walking around, you're thinking, oh, that person is thinking this about me. Oh, this is, you know, there's, there's a lot of it. A lot of the, the drama is happening in your mind. For you, where did you draw your strength 
to have a, a solid mindset? I think multiple places. I think first and foremost, it's the faith. It's really the faith in Christ. It's, it's, it's knowing that there was a plan for me before I became mom. Like I don't lose my identity just because I have a different role now, you know? So I've always had, I think a strong sense of self to say, who was Lela before this? Surely she's still there. You know, like surely she still exists somewhere. She might not feel like herself, but I've always been who I've been. Like I can't, that, that version of me can't now disappear because I'm pregnant. Right. Or because I had a baby or, you know, all sorts of stuff. So I think, I think the faith helped me get grounded in terms of that. But I also think the support structure I had, the, the, the friends that I had, the mentors that I had. So people that were mentoring me before, I mean, look, some mentors like ditched me, but some mentors really stuck around. There were people who still spoke life into me. There were people that became my community. They weren't young moms, but I had a community of people. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about creating young mama and creating a community because I had community. I had people who still believed. I had people that were like, do you need help getting a job? Do you need help with this? How can I support you? How can I help you? Do you know what I mean? I had spaces where I could vent, where I could cry, where I could, you know, be open about my insecurities and my thoughts. And often one of the things my mentors would say to me to say, Lila, but this doesn't define you. So I did have those mental struggles. But one thing I was constantly reminded of was who I was. You know, I had people around me who saw who I was. And I feel like that's the benefit to every young mom, to have a surrounding and a group of people, a group of women that are going to say to them, but we know who you are. Because it's easy to forget who we are, right? Especially when we've got roles added to us and now you're taking care of another human being. It's very easy to lose yourself in, in, in roles, right? But identity is separate from roles. There's who I am and then there's what I do. So, and, and it's always important to have relationships that speak to the core of who I am always, always, you know, always. And I think that, that those are the two main places. It's been the faith and, 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 and the word of God, but it's also been people that have been reminding me who I was. Like if, if I could take every young mom to church, I really would because that's the place where every week I'd be told who I am. You know, every week that, that moment of devotion, you know, the Lord would just say to me, listen, it's not over. You know, this is just the pathway to the promise. This is going to shape you. This is going to help you grow. This is going to make you better. But this is who you've always been. You know, so it's easy to lose ourselves. But I think community and great relationships will always, 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 like it, it'll give you more than you can get in books. You can read as many books as you want about mindset. But if you don't have people in your life that remind you of who you are, it's very difficult to come back to that call. So I'd say relationships are key. And I think relationships with like-minded people are even better, mm. even better. So you can imagine having a host of young moms around you who have made it pulling you along, calling you more into yourself, you win. Mm -hmm. You win. So Lelo, what is the dream right now? Oh, the dream right now. <laughs> that is such a big question. <laughs> Am I allowed to answer on the podcast? <laughs> I'm passionate about teaching. I'm passionate about personal development. I'm passionate about financial education. And my dream right now 
is to empower as many people, you know, to, to be able to grow in personal investment and financial education. Those, those two things matter to me so much. I, I, I started getting better the more I invested in myself, the more I got into personal development spaces and I got into programs, the more I invested in me, I got better. And so for me, I feel like I'm a teacher by, 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 by calling, by purpose. My, my dream is to coach as many people into developing into the best versions of themselves, but also how to master their finances. That is, that is my biggest passion. That is my biggest passion, you know, to see especially African people, especially African people when it comes to financial wellness, when it comes to financial intelligence and, and even the gremlins we don't see around poverty, right? So everybody wants to teach you about how to make a budget. And I think that's amazing, but I think I actually want to speak about the hindrances to financial wellness, which are often in the emotional space, often they're in the mindset. And so how do we coach people in such a way that they're building wealth, but they also are building their lives. That for me is my dream, you know, to be able to coach people into that, you know, because I feel like that's the journey that I'm going. That's the journey where I'm growing. You know, I'm growing as myself, but I'm growing financially. I'm passionate about the financial space because although money isn't everything, money affects everything, you know, and how long do we want to be a, a poor continent? How long, you know, how long, you know, I, I don't, I don't want just the optics. I don't, I don't just want people to look rich. I want people to be rich. And I believe that I'm learning and I'm growing everything. I believe that I'm going to be teaching one day is going to be faith-based, but I believe that there's just so much that we don't get out of God's word, because we've, you know, we, we sort of, we have assumptions about what the word has got to say. And I, and I think God's the coolest guy there's ever been smartest of all, you know? And then I feel like, yeah, my dream is really to coach. I, I want to be a coach, whether it be group coaching, whether it be one-on-one coaching, I believe I'm called to become a coach in the area of personal development and in the area of financial wellness. Oh, we love the dream. So beautiful. All right, Lilo. It has been amazing talking to you. As always, I would love for you to tell the audience, how do they find out about you? Where do they go? What can we support you with? Let us know. All righty. My Instagram handle is Lelo Mashatile. So there's no, nothing else. It's just Lelo Mashatile over there. And on my profile, you'll be able to find the link to my Young Mama page. And yeah, those are the two main places that you can reach me. You can find me on LinkedIn as well as Lelo Mashatile. And yeah, just stay tuned and stay on that Instagram. Soon things will be coming. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate you for taking the time to come and share your wisdom. And you're amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chulu. Yeah, I think you you, you drew a lot out of me. I, I was like, oh, wow. She's asking me a lot about motherhood. And I think by far motherhood is one of the toughest things to do, right? Because there's no manuals. Every child is different. Right. But I think every child has got the mother that they need or the parent that they need. Mm. You know, you are just who your child needs. So you really pulled from me from that perspective. Nobody has ever asked me some of the stuff you asked me which has been very interesting. Now I'm like, oh, I need to go and listen to this episode. <laughs> I need to go and hear 
I need to go and listen. What did I say now? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I try not to interject my personal stuff into the conversations because I want to focus on the guest and you know, she is telling the story of how she is the heroine of her own story. But this one really touched very close to home. If you know my story, you know that I was, I don't know if it's was or am, a young mama. Uh, I had my son out of wedlock at the age of 23, which was also in my last year of college. I think she handled herself with so much grace. I, on the other hand, was a shambles, <laughs> as Mumba would say. <laughs> it is interesting because I just wrote a piece on the blog that talks about how I've been making myself small and downplaying myself. And when I think about it, you know, getting pregnant also contributed to not really seeing myself in a positive light. I'm going to read it to you, what I wrote on the blog, because I know there's a number of people that don't read the blog. And so it reads as a poem, okay? And I called it small. I have been playing small. Subconsciously, self-sabotage has been rampant in my life. It has diminished and contained me in a small cup. For as long as I can remember, I have been afraid to stand out in a crowd. However, my mouth just won't keep quiet, so I tend to be noticed anyway. As a child, I was one of the tallest in the class, and yet the youngest. It felt awkward to stick out like a sore thumb. Instead, it was easier to hide away in books. Growing up, I always thought differently, which is hard, especially when you live in a conservative society. I could see people for who they really were, and when I said something, it would not be received well, which created a dynamic that was unsafe for me to be myself. We all know my 20s were a hot mess, and there's no time to rehash that. But I think in my 30s, I have slowly but surely been reclaiming my voice as I really begin to understand who I am. Yet there is more to reclaiming my voice than just speaking or writing. Stepping into my fullness and purpose requires me to have an unwavering core belief in myself. Upon examination of my beliefs, I found that I did not credit myself, which means if someone asked me, Chulu, what do you do? I would say, not much which is such an understatement. It wasn't even that I was being humble. I just did not believe that I was great. So I sat down to think about all that I have done and achieved. My findings are very clear. Even when I made myself small, I was still great. Imagine what I will do when I actually own my greatness. The facts are, when I walk into a room, eyes turn. When I speak, people listen. This is not by accident. I am a natural-born leader, and I have the experience to go with it. The time has come for me to accept myself. So as I move from my zone of excellence to my zone of genius, allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Chulu. 
Like the colony of ants that build a mountain, my purpose is to build an empire through community. Born in magnificent Zambia, educated on three continents, fluent in diversity, equity, and inclusion, a boundless creative, whimsical mother, producer, commander of words, and the plug. I am a Davis Scholar, Yali Southern Africa Fellow, founder of Exceptional Youth Zambia, International Council Member of United World Colleges, member of the Hale Center Advisory Council, First CNC Africa Representative, founder of Zambia Podcasters Hub, serial entrepreneur, and not forgetting, best wedding cake designer in Zambia nominee. I am a sought-after international speaker, top-notch moderator, mentor across generations, and an A-class interviewer. As the founder and CEO of Africana Woman, we are reimagining networking for African women. I curate safe spaces for women to be vulnerable and authentic to themselves. How, you ask? You have to experience it to understand it. There's nothing else like this out there. This is a space where women are not in competition because we believe in abundance. Instead, we tap into each other's genius and share freely. It is not built around an individual. Africana woman is centered around the collective, the community. If this is me playing small, I can't wait to see my big. Therein ends the poem. Hmm. So going back to the conversation around young mothers, young mamas, I want to do something different today. I don't necessarily want to pick something from the conversation and dissect it, but I just want to do something different today. I want to say a prayer for you, a young mama. Let us pray. Hey, Papa. A young mama just found out she is pregnant. She feels afraid. She feels ashamed. She may even feel like she has disappointed you. We both know that is far from the truth. Your word says, fear not, for I am with you always. You are with her right now. She can lean into your loving arms and be comforted by you. May she draw from your strength when she feels she has none. May you carry her through her darkest moments into the light. Her child is a gift. It's not a death sentence. She always has choices. And like Lilo said, your child is not an excuse to give up on your dreams. May she surrender to your unconditional love and trust that it will all work out. Amen. 
At Africana Woman, we give our guests their roses right now in the present. So please find Lelo on Instagram at Lelo Mashatile and tell her you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast. Take a screenshot of this episode, tag us. We want to see what you're saying and continue the conversation. So I'd love to hear your feedback. Now, the mission of Africana Woman has always been to tell more African women's stories. And one of the ways that we are doing this is by helping you start your own podcast. So if you have a burning idea and you're interested in launching a podcast, but you don't know where to start from, contact us, africanawoman at gmail.com, and we will help you. Your story is so important. So my playground is Instagram. Please find me at Chulu by Design. Tag me. Tell your friends about the Africana Woman podcast. And again, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcast. That's where more people are going to find out about this particular show. So don't keep it to yourself. <laughs> Share it. Please do. And yeah, we'll talk soon. This has been a production of Africana Woman Media.